Welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of the Environmental Writing Podcast. This week, I am talking to Cheryl McGuire about her environmental articles in National Geographic and Discover Magazine. We also discuss best practices for pitching editors, how she comes up with article pitch ideas, and publication rights. Cheryl McGuire is a freelance journalist focusing on writing about mental health, science, parenting, and travel. She has been published in the New York Times, National Geographic, The Washington Post, The Boston Globe, Discover Magazine, Parents Magazine, AARP, Healthline, Your Teen Magazine, and many other publications. She holds a Master of Counseling Psychology degree and is a professional member of ASJA. Hi, and welcome to the Environmental Writing Podcast, where we use our words to help save the planet. I'm your host, Sandy Schwartz, an award-winning environmental author and freelance journalist. And I hope you'll join me each episode as we explore the inspirational and passion-driven world of environmental writing. Whether you are an aspiring or current environmental writer, looking to work with one, or intrigued by extraordinary environmental writing, this is the place for you. Let's dive in and start making a difference. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Environmental Writing Podcast. I'm so excited to have my writing friend, Cheryl McGuire, joining us today. Hi, Cheryl. How are you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Great. Wow, Cheryl and I sure have a history. It's been several years. I can't remember what year it was, but we met because we were working on a pro-con debate article years ago, definitely pre-pandemic for Parent Co. We had worked on the article together. We each took a side. And then from there, we've just kept in touch. We've been doing a writing group with a couple other writers. And we even had a chance to meet in person last year. And so hopefully when she visits Florida again, we'll see each other again. So I'm so glad to have you here, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Cheryl, tell everybody about how you became a freelance writer, your background, what inspired you? I first started when I had twins that were young, they were toddlers, and I would just write these humor essays. It was almost like a form of therapy, and I just had so much fun doing it, and I ended up submitting them to parenting magazines like Parent Co, and they seemed to do well and people liked them. And then I think Parent Co had asked me to write an article that was more like a reported article, and that's how I kind of shift it into reporting articles. And I like that a lot better than the more essay types. Although I still do write the humor essays. I do still enjoy them. Writing humor is a tough, (laughs) that's tough and and really challenging. So it's amazing that you started with that. So do you sometimes just sit down and, and something comes out? Yes, I still do write humor. So not my kids are teenagers now. So sometimes I'll write humor for your teen magazine. And then I submitted to the reprint local magazines. How old were the kids when you started this journey? They were probably like, you know, maybe one or two. It was like during their nap time. I used to just use, instead of sleeping like I should have been, I would write humor essays. 
Wow. And now they're going off to college next year. So you've really seen how they've grown and have you continued to incorporate, you know, their lives and their stories and have they continued to inspire you or have you shifted your writing away from that world a bit? Definitely. A lot of times it's like problems I might have in terms of parenting or issues I might have. I sometimes use that as an idea to write an article. So they might not necessarily be included in the article, but it will help me to figure out what to write about or what kind of questions I have and help to solve the questions in the article. Now you do a lot of pitching. So how much of your business is really focused on freelance writing versus other types of writing, content marketing and such? I'd say most of it is freelance writing. Um, in terms of content marketing, I do write for single care. They have a lot of medical articles on their website that I write sometimes. What are the main niches and publications you have written for? And, and we will get to her environmental writing, but I just want to kind of paint the picture that she has a real broad and general scope and she's and also provide your background. Tell about, you know, your psychology background because it is interesting how she has written about lots of different topics, but then also the environment. So yeah, explain a little bit more about how you incorporate the psychology background into your writing. Sure. So I have my master's degree in counseling psychology, and I used to work in a residential facility for teenagers that had mental health problems. I also used to be a guidance counselor, but when my twins were born, I ended up staying home with them because it was you know too difficult to do childcare and everything i started getting into writing I, I took some online writing classes what topics you typically write about well i started with parenting and then did more like mental health uh, and then transitioned more into science and environment then more recently i've been writing a lot of travel articles that's interesting because travel really can overlap with environmental writing and as I talk about, you know, mental health, and we'll talk a little bit later about an article that Cheryl wrote that she quoted me in, which is so cool, and how really environmental writing can overlap so many niches, mental health, psychology, especially now with people worrying about climate change. I think all those things I'm just interested in, like we love to travel, we love the environment. I'm interested, obviously, in psychology and parenting. So it's just all things I'm interested in. And that's how I kind of got, you know, wrote about them. Was it always your dream to write? Like, you know, when did it kind of hit you that you wanted to start writing? I definitely always loved writing. Even when I was younger, I used to write fictional type stories. Uh, originally, I had wanted to do more like a fiction writing, but it was really hard. It was a lot harder than you would think. And when I started doing these essays, they were fun and they were kind of easy for me to do. So yeah, I, I've always loved writing. So Looking at what you've done then over it's almost 20 years, I guess, right? Because the kids going off to college, can you think of one or two of the most exciting writing projects that you've had or the most memorable? I'd say probably getting published in the New York Times for the first time was just like beyond exciting. I couldn't even believe that I was published there. I grew up in New York, so to, it's such an iconic newspaper and to get published there was just incredible. And I mean, the same for National Geographic. My mom used to subscribe to the magazine. We used to have them and I used to love to look at all the pictures, the beautiful pictures in there and stuff. And I always had an interest in science too. I really liked biology. Well, what a great segue there, Cheryl. 
let's talk more about National Geographic because you've been published in National Geographic, like the family section, and then also National Geographic Kids magazine, the print magazine. So tell us how this happened from the pitching or how you learned about it and then what those articles were all about. The first article I pitched to National Geographic was about how to do a trash audit. I had read about it in a women's magazine, I think. And I just thought it was really interesting and something that maybe would be fun for kids to do. You know, you're always taught not to touch the trash. And this actually tells you to pay attention to the trash and actually go through it and kind of note what you're throwing away, become more aware of it. So I had pitched that to National Geographic and they accepted it. That's how I wrote that article. And who did you pitch it to? Was it the family online or was it also in print? How'd that work? Yes. So families only online. And yeah, so they have National Geographic has a really nice guidelines specifically tells you what they're looking for, for each section and who to pitch. And it's very laid out on their website, which is nice. That's great. And so you seen something about a trash audit in another publication and you adapted it to more of a family approach and the title of the article, let's see. And it was March of 2021, Trash Talk, How Waste Audits Can Empower Kids to Protect the Planet. I like this part, though. The sub headline says, analyzing your family's trash might be gross, but it gets kids thinking about what they're throwing away. So it's really catchy and interesting and very much on topic with when it comes to recycling and reducing waste. So yeah, so that was your first. You just kind of came up with that idea and all of a sudden you, you became an environmental writer just like that. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I think the most interesting aspect of that article was you don't realize how much you throw away or how much that does impact the environment. And a lot of the sources talk about how trash is often hidden. You hide it away, you know, under your sink or you hide it away when you're throwing it away in the curbside or whatever. And so you're not ever really forced to pay attention to what you're throwing away. And that is what ends up in all these landfills. Right. And we just put it out there and it, it apparently disappears, but it doesn't really. Exactly. Yeah. So don't pay attention to that either. Like, where does it go from here? Right. And there's a lot being written now about the recycling issue and that, you know, and I am such an avid recycler. I've always been, but sadly we've learned in the last few years that things aren't really actually getting recycled. So that may be another topic to look into. <laughs> well, something they also talked about was the importance of corporations because they're the ones often creating a lot of the issues and they can do something about it. So they, they really need to be on the level of, of first stopping creating a lot of this. Yeah, so an article like this really gives families something to think about. It's a really great article, so check that out. Thank you. Now, what about the animal related articles? There was one in Discover and then there were a few in National Geographic Kids. So how did those come about? Because they're very specific. I never thought I would be writing about animals, but I actually love it. It's so much fun. So when I was writing the Trash Talk article, the editor was helping out. She's not normally the family editor, but she was helping out. So the person that normally edits the National Geographic Kids, she then ended up assigning me articles from there. And that's how 
I end up writing the animal articles, but they're so much fun to write. I really enjoy them. They often have puns in it, which, so that's my humor. I get to add a little humor in there. And I've learned so much about animals that, you know, you, I wouldn't have before, but she assigns them all. I don't, I don't pitch any of those. And then the discover one, because I started writing these animal type articles, then you kind of pay attention more to what's going on. There was a local story that I ended up pitching to discover. And then the second discover one was also based from that same local place. So how do you end up getting assigned articles? Like, do you have any tips on how to make that bridge from pitching to getting assignments? That's the ultimate question, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just really the editor that, you know, cause I've heard of other people too, that get assignments and, and I've worked with that same editor and I don't get assignments from them. So I think it's just who the editor enjoys working with. I mean, obviously you want to submit clean copy and meet deadlines and include everything that they're asking you to include. So I think if you do all that and also let them know I'm open to assignments. Did you do hopefully. that? Did you kind of say, Hey, I'm open to assignments. Do you have any, or did they just, yes. Okay. Yes, so you I really did. do have yeah. to put yourself out there and yes. open mm -hmm. that door. Okay. Let's talk about the article that we worked together on. So that was really cool because around the time that my book was coming out, Cheryl was working on an ecotherapy article. And so that was a huge connection. And I just have to say that for all the authors out there who are trying to market their books, it really is a lot of who you know and having other writer friends because they're looking for assignments, they're looking for sources. So definitely put yourself out there to be available to them. So it was really fun. The tables were turned and she was interviewing me. So how did that <laughs> article come about? Yeah, I, it was because I read your book. You know, you had given me an advanced copy and I really liked it. And I thought it was so great how you have all these activities. And that's what National Geographic Family is big on activities and things you can do with your kids. So I basically did pitch it based on your book and what I uh, learned from there. Well, thank you so much. It, it, <laughs> it is a life changing to be able to say that you're quoted in certain reputable publications. So I appreciate it. it really boosted my career. Feeling stressed or maybe a bit down? Nature can help. Check out my book, Finding Eco Happiness which focuses on the mental health benefits of connecting to nature through topics like awe and gratitude, mindfulness, creative arts, food, volunteering, and more. Golden Globe and Emmy award-winning actor, director, and environmentalist Kira Sedgwick said, finding eco-happiness is a beautiful and informative guide to calming our mind and replenishing our souls in nature for ourselves as well as our children. And Library Journal stated, Schwartz's scientific data is both fascinating and enlightening, a fun resource for adults and children who love the outdoors. Those who want to start making regular time for nature and the outdoors in their household will find this an easy guide. Grab your copy today at Amazon, Bookshop, or wherever books are sold. And you can learn more at ecohappinessproject.com. Tell us a little bit about your tips and tricks when it comes to pitching, because Cheryl really does pitch a lot and she's a cheerleader. She tries to get me to pitch more. You have a lot of stamina for it. I mean, can you kind of walk us through 
your process and how many pitches you're working on each week? Sure. I think the most important issue, which I didn't realize, and I know you took this class too with Estelle, the pitching class, is how important the pitches are. I really think if you've never pitched, you really should take the class. Even like Estelle's class was only two weeks. It's Estelle Erasmus. Yes. I'm not sure the name of it. It's through Writer's Digest, I think, right? I know she also teaches at NYU as well, right? Yes. But yeah, I think that definitely taking classes about pitching because there is an art to them and there are certain things you should include. So I think that really helped me a lot after I took that class. And I definitely think it's a numbers game. You just have to, you also won't get upset uh, as upset about the rejection if you have tons of pitches out there then you're not even thinking oh like I didn't get accepted because you have so many out there you don't even realize how many you might have at one time when I met you really weren't writing a lot and now you have some really incredible bylines to your name New York Times National Geographic Discover Washington Post on and on so did you set goals to get there um I'm not sure if I necessarily had a goal. Like, obviously, once you get into one publication, you want to get into more if possible. Like I said, the New York Times was just, I guess, an incredible goal. How do you choose where to pitch? I read a lot of publications and I get a lot of their newsletters. I think being familiar with what you read and the newsletters, then that helps you think of ideas and then you pitch it based on that. But sometimes you do think of an idea and then you got to figure out which publication would be a good fit. And do you ever see a call for pitches in Sonia's emails that come out twice a week or different groups on Facebook? Do you see a call for pitch and then pitch based on what they're looking for? And have you had success with that? Or do you find it works better when you come up with the idea and then you find a place for the article? I definitely have done that. But usually if it gets accepted, it's because of a pitch I already had created, not one that I am kind of thinking of based on the pitch. But I would say in general, those usually don't work out for me. I'd say it's only happened maybe a handful of times. I'd say most of my pitches that get accepted were either based on something I really wanted to write about or an issue that I saw and then pitched it. That's really interesting because sometimes I will see the call for pitch and then, and I'll be like, oh, I got to come up with something. And then I can't, and then I might save editors information for the future, but I, I guess I should try to shift that focus. It sounds like you really focus on what you want to write about. You, you do the research a little bit for the pitch and you have that ready to go instead of trying to respond. Cause when we have to respond, a lot of times there's so much pressure too. And if they post it on a Monday and now they're going to be flooded with hundreds of pitches as opposed to what you're doing, whereas you may just be writing to them out of the blue. Exactly. Yeah. I oh, agree. Great tip. Yeah. The other thing we talk a lot about is rights. So I wanted to know if you could explain to folks listening all about the rights. Can you give people tips on that or at least what questions they can ask? Sure. So when you write something, often a publication will ask you to sign a contract. And in that contract, it will state if you can maintain your rights or if they take all the rights to the article. And why that's important is if they take all of your rights, 
that means you can never publish that article again. But if you maintain your rights, then you're able to publish that again and you're able to earn money off of it as well. And the way I often explain this to other people, because sometimes they're a little confused about that, is sort of like in television, you could syndicate television shows. So it's very similar to that. And sometimes the syndications earn more money than the first run, which has happened because I do, as you know, we both republish articles in the parenting markets. And sometimes my articles will earn more money in reprints than they did when I originally published them. So it's very important to me to maintain the rights. But I also like to maintain the rights because they're like, I wrote it and I want to keep it. So I guess there's that part of it too. Sometimes you can't keep the rights if you want to write for that publication, like the New York Times is one, although maybe you can negotiate that. But in my experience, I was not able to. National Geographic, you cannot keep your rights either. But Washington Post, you can. The Boston Globe, you can your teen magazine, you can. So there are definitely publications out there that will let you maintain your rights. It definitely influences who I pitch to. Yeah, it's definitely something to keep in mind if you are starting your freelance writing career. Because in the beginning, I guess you kind of, you want the byline and you do what you can, but you know, like you already got that byline. So you want to look at it more holistically. Well, these are great tips. Do you have any other advice for freelance journalists that may be starting out? Something you really recommend that you've learned all these years? I'm a big advocate of learning and taking classes. I love learning new things. And even though, like you said, I have these bylines and all these national publications, I personally feel like I still could always learn more. So every year I try to take at least one writing class. There's plenty of online writing classes. Like, as we mentioned, Estelle is probably my favorite. The classes are good for getting feedback on things you might be doing wrong or things you might not know how to do. So you can ask questions. You can meet other writers, which I think is so, that's another tip I would say is it's a very lonely job. So I think it's so important to know other writers and to like how we have a writing group and how we also both belong to ASJA. I feel like that is a very supportive group as well, where you can ask questions and in related to the learning, I'm always trying to ask questions if I don't understand something or, or how to do something, I guess, you know, always willing to learn more. Yeah, you're also very active in all the groups online. She's very helpful and responsive, and we are able to meet people that way. And so that when we have an issue, we can ask for help. So yeah, it's a big tip. Very helpful. Do you have a next big project or goal or maybe a publication you're just, you have to get into, you know, in the next 10 years or an article topic that you just have been chomping in a bit to write about? I would love to write for the New York Times again. There's been a lot of editor changes and stuff. So it's been, I think, harder to get accepted there than it was before. So I would like to be published there again. I really enjoyed the travel writing. So I'd like to do maybe more of that. Obviously, I still enjoy the environmental writing about the animals. I would also like to get into the New York Times science section. That would be really cool to get into that section. People have told me I should write a book that you had mentioned too, that I should be like a writing coach, which 
I think would be fun. I think I would enjoy it, but it's like a whole nother career. So yeah, maybe some of those things. Well, we never know where life will take us. I never exactly. thought I would start a podcast. I didn't know when I was younger, I would write a book. So yeah, yes. you, you never know. Stay tuned and maybe we'll have Cheryl <laughs> back on for her next <laughs> That's so, next that's so true. You you never know because if you had told me when I was younger, I'd be in the New York Times, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> well, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me today on the Environmental Writing Podcast. This was really helpful and I'll leave all your information in the show okay. notes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today on the Environmental Writing Podcast. To learn more, head over to sandyschwartz.com. That's S-A-N-D-I-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. You can also join the conversation in our Facebook and LinkedIn groups, both under the name Environmental Writing. If you love the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and let your friends know. You can also support the podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash environmental writing. And if you're looking for ideas to connect to nature to feel happier and calmer, be sure to check out my book, Finding Eco Happiness, available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Until next time, keep on writing, reading, and making a difference for our planet.